Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the Theory of Enchantment podcast. I'm your host, Chloe Valdry. I know it's been a really, really long time since I've had my last episode. I've been kind of busy with work, trying to spread the Theory of Enchantment everywhere as much as I can. But I'm really happy to announce that we're back at it. We have an entirely brand new episode for you guys this week. This week, I'm actually interviewing author... Tal Keenan, who wrote an incredibly fascinating book called God is in the Crowd, 21st Century Judaism. This book is an incredible exploration of identity, of how two poles representing one community, one in the diaspora, the Jewish diaspora in America, and one in Israel, how these two communities can be connected, can engage as a people, as relatives, as family members, despite the challenges that they encounter as a result of having very different lived experiences and very different realities. And eventually, what's really cool about this episode, we talk about what learning how to navigate those realities while still maintaining communal ties and family ties with each other, what exactly can that teach America? What can that teach Americans about identity? What can that teach America about how to navigate our fractured identity with regard to polarization and other issues that are becoming a real threat to the fabric of our country and to our ability to connect to each other and with each other as human beings. So take a listen to the episode. I think you're really going to find it fascinating. And as always, I hope you enjoy, subscribe, and tell all your friends about the Theory of Enchantment podcast. Good morning, Tao. Good morning, Chloe. <laughs> How are you this morning? I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, so you are an incredibly accomplished human being. You were a pilot fighter in the Israeli Air Force. You wrote a very intriguing book called God is in the Crowd, 21st Century Judaism. Tell us a little bit about the book. What is its central thesis and what inspired you to write it in the first place? So the thesis is that for the first time in 2000 years, Jews are called upon to define themselves and define Judaism. Um, and I think there have been two moments in the Jewish story where that's happened. The first is the Exodus, where we leave Egypt. It, it's unclear what exactly, what sort of entity are we, um, you know, the, the, the Jewish people leaving it. We're not the only people enslaved in Egypt. What, what are the boundaries between us and others? Uh, how do we govern ourselves? How do we perceive of ourselves? Not, not very clear. And 40 years later, absolutely clear right we're sovereigns in our own in our own land uh, governed by a book of law that has stayed with us to this day um, fundamental reinvention or redefinition of, of, of what this enterprise is and the second is the expulsion from Israel under the Roman Empire where we go from that status of, of kind of self-governed um, to dispersed diaspora Right, hundreds of nodes uh, across the world, very loosely coordinated, if at all, and, and in many cases we weren't even aware of each other. Not, right. not only uh, were we not in touch with each other, um, that precipitated a, a a dramatic revolution in the way we we, we govern ourselves, uh, and I think it was only partially intentional. Right, mm -hmm. and, and right, we we um, we became a people. Uh, that were defined by a set of questions that we grappled with, and our answers changed and evolved over the over the centuries, um, but very different. You know, again, I think difficult. I think some people might take exception to this, but but to me, it's it's difficult to put down clear differenti differentiators between Israel or Judah uh, pre-expulsion um, and some of the other neighbors in okay. you know in in, in our region okay. we we look kind of the same yeah, yeah. we that we each has its distinctions for sure um but we're a totally different animal right. you know two centuries later uh, so i think we're facing a third event of fundamental redefinition of what this enterprise is and on the one hand it, it's a great opportunity um in that you know there that we can introduce purpose and meaning that i, I think is, is largely lost uh, in, in Judaism today, uh, but it's also a threat in that if we don't rise to this challenge, I think it's over. I think this is the end of, of Jewish history. And you believe that it could be possibly over because 
uh, and I know that you go over this in the book, because uh, if there is no sort of set of traditions that links the diaspora to Israelis and vice versa, if there's a lack of mutual understanding of one to the other, you describe it as a uh, schism that could essentially, um, especially in America, because that's the other pol polarized or pole of Jewish life, if you will, um, that could lead to the end of Jewish civilization, at least in America. Can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah. So the, you know, if you look, the exodus and the expulsion are two geographic reorientations of, of, of the Jewish people. And we're experiencing a third right now, to, to your point. Diaspora is no longer a useful model for describing the, the physical architecture of Judaism. It's now bipolar. 90% of the Jews are in the United States and Israel. That, right. That's where the Jews are. And the trend is toward the 100, not toward the 80. Right? Right. We're concentrating increasingly in these two jurisdictions. Um, both jurisdictions, I, I use the term purposefully, 100% devoid of any legal anti-Semitism, okay. right? which there, there is no codified anti-Semitism in either right. of those. Uh, and I would argue, I know certain people disagree with this, um, pretty much devoid of practical anti-Semitism as well. Right. I've never experienced anti-Semitism in this country. I, mean, I think most Jews have not encountered it. Yeah, we read about it. There are incidents for sure. I, yeah. I, I get that. And we could talk about Pittsburgh, which is kind of where, where people right. tend to attack this uh, thesis. But we have the total freedom to either be Jewish or not be Jewish. That's something that right. my, my parents' gener generation didn't have in this country. Right. Um, my generation in Europe still doesn't have that. This is that you you can be completely American in, the, in this country if you if you choose to be that. So for the, for the first time in two thousand years, you've got almost all Jews in the world living under those conditions where Judaism is a choice. Right. Can, there's no anti-Semite to d define you. Right. Um, so if we define ourselves. Great, and that's the opportunity. Yeah. I hate the notion of, of being defined by people who hate us. That's yeah. a, that, 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 so that, that this is an exciting opportunity. Uh, but at the same time, if we don't actually pose the question, or who are we, right. uh, then we're going to answer by default. And in the United States, it's, it's very easy for us to measure that just through intermarriage, right? right? And intermarriage is, uh, you don't have that in Israel because you don't really meet non-Jews in, right. in, in Israel. Um, but in the United States, you do. And 72% of us outside of Orthodoxy are marrying out of, of this people. And, you know, I, I have n no issue with that on an individual level. I yeah. think if you find love, you should grab it. It's tough uh, yeah. <laughs> in my, my experience. Um, However, let's recognize that at this rate, we have two more generations, right. and then it's over. Um, so w we should be asking this question. It's a tough question. And you describe that potential end as dying in one's sleep. In America. In America. Yeah. 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 So I, I think the model here is, you know, if, if we assume that that trend is linear, which it never is, but that doesn't mean it's right. cyclical. It could be exponential. It could right. be worse than linear. Um, then my grandchildren in this country will have very little, just very low probability of, of meeting another Jew of the opposite sex and more or less the same age. That, right. That's just not, you know, they, they will be the likely the last generation that has any, any sort of uh, um, uh, critical mass. That's dying in our sleep. That's the best way to go if we're right. going to go. And I start, I mean, the first section of the book is called Should There Be Jews? And that's, right. that, that's an honest question, you know, and, and, you know, people answer it in, in different ways. And I think we need to be brave enough to, to ask right. it sincerely. Um, I think there should be, but, but I, I, <laughs> I accept people who feel otherwise. And that's yeah. okay. And, and if the answer is no, then this is definitely the way to go. It's right. love, right? It's not a traditional <laughs> Jewish extinction, which is yeah, usually violent. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, Israel, I think, looks very different. If that happens in America. If that happens in America, and even if it doesn't, and we don't fix the, or, or don't answer this fundamental question, what is Judaism okay. in Israel as well? It's not, it's not just an American issue. This I is see. a global issue in that, you know, I, I argue in the book that there was a governance structure in place throughout diaspora. Um, I, and I use the mathematics of, of crowd wisdom as, as a sort of proxy for what, what that what that looks like, and it's it's a theory. It's a, it can be uh, argued for sure, but no pope, right. right? Nobody officiating over how how we govern ourselves. By the way, do you know if this is the only culture or people that 
sort of operated that way because I was sort of thinking about if there was any other sort of national religious ethnic group that was able to survive throughout the generations without having a hierarchic structure. It's a good question. I, I can't think of any. And I, certainly if you think of, of uh, identities that existed 2,000 years ago and still exist today right. as part of an uninterrupted continuum, right. none comes to mind. That, that, right, that, that uh, you know, you have Chinese culture, but right. that always had a, a hub, right? right. There's a, there a geography where most Chinese people um, right. were. Um, so there, there are definitely people who have existed, this, but, but a, a, a people that's been dispersed with no geography and no leader. Right. Um, I'm not sure I haven't thought about it. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I was thinking maybe about the Tibet and the Dalai Lama. I don't know if that fully applies here, mm, but could continue. Be, yeah. 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 <laughs> um, yeah, by the way, I, I would have bet against this, right? Yeah. If, if I'd been <laughs> standing there, in, as I write in the book, in Galilee in the last right. last days of the Third Revolt against the Roman Empire and watching the final dispersion, and I had been told, look, you, we, we already have a very complex orthodoxy in the right. year 135. It's going to become more complex, and right. it's going to evolve dramatically. I mean, Judaism in the year 135 is very different from Judaism in the year 500, yeah. which is very different from Judaism in the year 1000, which is very different from today. Um, we won't be coordinated, mm -hmm. right? You might be living in Poland. I yeah. might be living in North Africa. We're evolving on separate paths. There's no coordination right. between us, right? You perform a conversion in your community. Somebody wants to join, you know, someone's crazy enough to want to be <laughs> Jewish in, in yeah. your community. Uh, I don't get to weigh in right. on your conversion, if that was kosher or not. And within two or three generations, that person's ancestors are part of us. There's right. no... That um, is an incredible irony, as you articulate it, that I've become aware of in that it was sort of the creation or reestablishment of the Jewish state. And with it, you know, you talk about this in the book, the status quo agreement that Ben-Gurion agrees to, that leads to the creation of the rabbinate that all of a sudden imposes right. this, now we have commentary on who is and who is not in the tribe. I think, I, I actually have never come across anyone who, who has uh, articulated the point that that is a new phenomenon within Jewish life. Yeah, that's so. we, we, we have unintentionally instated a pope, or it's, mm -hmm. it's two popes, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, of, of, of Judaism. And that's, that's a problem. Yeah. I mean, we didn't, and we did it, to the, your point, the, the status quo agreement is, is actually very aptly named. Right. There's no thought to this. It's not a strategy. It's just, okay, this is what we have at the moment. Let's run with it. And I'll blame Ben-Gurion. I'll blame right. him. There was a lot going on at the time. Yeah. <laughs> to uh, say the least. But, but, yeah. but we do have an opportunity to fix it today. Yeah. Um, it, it, but if we don't, what I think is happening in Israel today is we haven't used that crowd wisdom mm. um, approach to answering the evolving questions that define us as, as a people. And the status quo agreement is, is a good example of that, where we use the very much more available and easily accessible teeth of sovereignty to, right. to answer those questions. Um, one of the outgrowths of that is when we ask Israeli Jews to define Jewish statehood. What are we doing here exactly? What, what yeah. is this about? I think there are three basic camps or three basic visions uh, which haven't really been reconciled. Instead, the status quo agreement segregated us into different communities. We live in different geographies. We study under different education systems. Right. The very rights and obligations of citizenship are, are different between right. us. Um, so I define those as the secularists, the theocrats, and the territorialists. And, and largely, and there is a big fourth Israel that doesn't subscribe to any of these views, but people who have a, a kind of a political vision for what Israel should be mm -hmm. largely fall into one of those three categories. The secularists, and, and this is my definition, so you, know, it's right. not, you, you, you can look, obviously parse it in a lot of ways. The secularists uh, I define as people who see Jewish statehood as a haven for Jews mm -hmm. structured as a democracy. Right. That's it. Not much beyond What's that. What's interesting about that definition is that it includes people who believe in God. Absolutely. Right. So plenty of Orthodox Jews are secularists right, in, in my that definition. Sense. Right. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Um, meaning they don't want their government imposing religiosity on the, the citizenry. Right. right? Um, the theocrats see Jewish statehood as 
as it would imply a theocracy, or right. at least the, the the ambition is 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 theocracy. Right. That group was very small in 1948. Um, you know, at, at independence, it's very big today, and it's right. growing at a, at, a, at a huge rate. Um, and I'm not trying to judge any of these views. I don't think any of them, right. frankly, are adequate for right. you know, <laughs> as, as a vision for for Jewish statehood. But but the, this is where we are. The third group is the territorialists. I think it's actually tiny, but okay. um, I am concerned. Uh, Jewishly, and this is less a political statement than a Jewish statement. Uh, the uh, I'll start by saying largely the, the the territorialist vision is the land of Israel is right. a divine gift, right. and it's not a human prerogative to relinquish that gift. Right. Um, and we should be willing to pay any price right. to keep that land, including giving up our democracy, giving right. up our lives um, in, in order to do that. I think there are probably fewer than 200,000 adherents of, okay. the, of that vision. However, okay. you know, due to his, Israel's coalition politics and I kind of just the missing it, messiness and complexity of, of, uh, of the Middle East, uh, this constitu- constituency is, is, is creating facts on the ground, which is making it very, very difficult. I don't think it's impossible mm-hmm. yet uh, but very difficult to disengage from our Palestinian neighbors, and, and we have to. I think we yeah. have to. There's no n- no other no other choice. This is not it's not about justice. It's right. it's about the the practicality of, of of actually having a Jewish state that is a democracy. Right. Is there an overlap between the territorialists and the theocrats? I think there overlaps between all three groups. Okay. It's not right. It's not it, the, the lines are not that clear, which is gr- good news, mm-hmm. right? I, I do think there there is. Um, not the only person who's seeking a reconciliation mm-hmm. between these and, and I think and, and that's a growing community in Israel okay. uh, we don't really have a name or right. we, it's clear it's difficult to define ourselves but I have massive respect for all three okay. I, I do I mean yeah. I, I, I think the Without the theocrats, we wouldn't be able to be so adventurous. Right. Uh, By the way, I have to say it was so surprising and perhaps this is this is probably my uh, bias as to why it was surprising but it was pleasantly surprising to um see as you spoke about uh someone who belonged i think it was to the theocrat or i, I don't remember it was the either the theocrat or the territorialist that you met in the air force who was very uh feminist um and very much pushing this sort of progressive vision of allowing women into the air force which was not the example i expected sure. yeah. and it was a very pleasant very pleasant surprise. Yeah, so like I, I, I admire and respect all, all, all of these communities. There's something beautiful in, in, in each of them. Um, we don't have to agree on everything. That's right. okay. Uh, we can come to re- reconciliation and, and, and still preserve our differences. In fact, our differences, I think, are what make us Jewish ultimately. It's fine. Right. It's important. Um, but here's what's going on today is that th- that community that is seeking reconciliation is small. Okay. Most of us are very locked into our, our camps. And if you, again, without judging the ethics, the morality, the coherence of any of those visions, we do have to recognize that in order to survive in the Middle East, we need to be strong militarily. Right. There's no choice, un- right. you know, unfortunately. I don't see that going away anytime soon. In order to be strong militarily, we need to be strong economically. Those are the two preconditions for just physical survival right. uh, in the Middle East. The weak don't last very long in, in that in that region. Um, if you look at the adherence of those three visions, we have a very asymmetric contribution to those twin uh, kind of thresholds of survival. The secularists pay the taxes in right. Israel, by and large. If you look, you know, again, we're about 20% of the Israeli tax base is accretive, right? Mm-hmm. Pays in to the system more than it takes out from the system, just in dollars or, or shekels. Um, 80% takes out more than it pays in, mm-hmm. not different from the United States or from most capitalist democracies. Okay. That's not special. What is special in Israel is that 20% is pretty much entirely secularist, right? Okay. Again, there right. could be Orthodox Jews who are secularists. That's, that's part right. of that. But when we think of startup nation and kind of the tech economy and all of that innovation, that's secularist. That's right, who's sure. doing that. Uh, they also send their kids to fight the wars. Right. The theocrats do neither. Mm-hmm. Uh, massive, massive fiscal burden mm-hmm. on the is- Israeli economy, and do not co- they do not contribute to Israel's defense. The territorialists are tiny, so it matters maybe a little bit less. They do contribute to Israel's defense. I think, frankly, I think they're the best people we have actually mm-hmm. uh, in that. If you're going to be in a foxhole with somebody, yeah. that's really who you want to be with. Yeah. The most uh, self-sacrificing, 
humble. I I I, re- I have a real admiration and love for that 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 population. Yeah. Uh, economic drain. Okay. Uh, the contribution is small. The demands of providing for their infrastructure and security are huge. Right. Um, what I think is ultimately happening, or it, it will ultimately happen again if we don't if we don't face this question, is a gradual abandonment of Israel by the okay. secularists, and they're coming here, and that's already happening. I, I, I tried to work with some demographers on. Nobody wanted to touch it because it's it's not a very politically correct. Uh, right. I, I understand that. I mean, what what I'm asking people to do is let let's rank people on the basis of their utility to yeah. the nation's survival, and say this person's worth more than that person. Right. I, I understand that that's a problem. Um, that doesn't mean it's not the case right. that some people contribute more than others. That's life. That's right. how it. And what I see happening is is lacking a reason to um, remain committed to this enterprise. Mm. These people are gradually abandoning, and and the the way I see it happening now is not in some big protest movement where we say, all right, that's it, we're we're done with you people, we're right. going. Um, it's that pe- people go, you know, one by one, family by family in pursuit of some temporary goal, right? Okay. It could be an advanced degree, it could right. be, you know, you're running your company in California or in New York, or whatever. Um, but once you're here, mm-hmm. looking back, your perspective changes. And right. that's, that's life, that's how we are as, 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 as human beings. And I, and I think what, what I'm seeing happening, and I write about it in the book, and we face this as well with our oldest, uh, oldest daughter, um, you actually have to start thinking about this when your oldest child is 16. That, oh. that, that's when this actually becomes a question for, for, uh, for Israelis. If you're living in Israel when that happens, you're going with the flow. We right. don't like to make decisions, we, we, we human beings, right? right. If, we, if, if there's a default, we will usually take the default because we're making too many decisions already. We don't, right. we don't want another one. So if, you, if your 16-year-old gets draft papers in Tel Aviv, you know, all of his or her friends are getting draft papers. There, there's nothing going on here. Right. Of course, you know, they're going to the army and that's that. That's that. Uh, when you're in Palo Alto and right. that happens, you have a decision to make. Right. And now you're weighing costs and benefits. Right. And increasingly, I'm seeing I'm seeing the people I served with, you know, yeah. who now have kids of that 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 age, um, increasingly saying no, I don't right. I don't want to be part of that anymore. And that should frighten us, right? Because we're we're dependent on far fewer people than we I think typically realize. Uh, yeah. How how high is the attrition rate? Would you say of Israelis leaving? And settling elsewhere in America or in Berlin or in other places around the world. So I don't know. Again, I, I, I tried to work with demographers to get some numbers around this and with, with no success. I think the good news is for, for the time being, I think it's a trickle. Right? Okay. Most people who come, and it's great to spend time outside of Israel. Right. Great to interact with the world and as, as long as a, a, a critical mass is going back or a critical number of Jews from right. outside Israel are moving to Israel. Um, most people are still going back. So I, okay. I think we're talking about a trickle. The bad news is I think the progression from trickle to flood mm-hmm. is not linear at all. Okay. It is sudden. This will happen very, very suddenly. And, it, and there's not going to be a sign in the road saying this is about okay. to happen. Um, so I, I, I write about a, a behavioral economics experiment, which I really, one of the, I, one of the areas that I l- lean on pretty heavily in the book. Um, You've got a bunch of people around a table, mm-hmm. and each one gets uh, ten $100 bills, right. okay? And, and whatever you have at the end of the game is yours to keep. So there's a real incentive to, you know, to pay attention and, right. and, and, and really try to. And the game is very simple. You get to ante $100 in each round into a pot or not ante. That's your, but those are your only two choices. You can't right. put 200 in or anything like that. It's 100 or zero. Once everybody's decided what they're doing, the researcher will double mm-hmm. whatever is in the pool, and then it gets distributed evenly among mm-hmm. everybody, whether you participated or not. So if the, just very simply, if everyone participates, everyone puts in $100, 1000 has gone in in total because right. there are 10 of us. It gets doubled to $2,000, right, and now distributed. So right. as a community, we've created $1,000 of value. Right. And we've each doubled our money. We've made $100, right? So a coin should drop in our head saying, this is fantastic. Yeah. We should stay here all day long, and we're, we're going to make a lot of money um, as long as everybody co- cooperates. Turns out, in almost every society in the world, yeah. you have on, ab- on average one abstainer in the first round okay. of, of that experiment, right? Somebody who, for whatever reason, yeah. says, I'm not anteing. I want to see what happens. Uh, so now the math becomes 900 went in <laughs> instead of 1,000. Got doubled to 1,800 instead of 2,000. 
everybody got 180 back instead of 200. Right. Let's say it was me. I was the abstainer. Right. You have now netted $80 instead of $100. I've netted $180. Right. Ventured nothing and got 180 back. So you're looking at me and saying, you know, this guy's either a, a jerk or an idiot. Yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm angry and right. I'd love to punish him. But the only tool I have to punish him is abstaining myself in the next round. And I've got these other eight people here who have been great citizens. Right. Frankly, I appreciate them now more knowing that it's not everybody. You can't take it for granted that everyone's right. going to participate. And typically what will happen is in the second round, your kinship and allegiance to these eight will outweigh your anger at me. Yeah. Um, and the third round will look very similar. Okay. And the fourth round will usually look uh, the same okay but somewhere between the fifth and the seventh round you your psychology starts to change yeah and you're looking at me saying why is it at the fifth round i think that's just the empirical okay uh, there's I, I guess a certain amount of time that we can sort of take the person not putting into the pot <laughs> yeah exactly right okay. i mean it's a, i'm a freeloader yeah and by the way again you you, you can take it for a certain amount of time it's right. not um but at that point, I think you're looking at me and you're saying, all right, hang on. I, I recognize that the math hasn't changed. Right. Uh, I'm, and I'm still making $80 a round, which is good. It's right. better than zero. Right. Um, but I'm much angrier at this guy right. than I was two rounds ago. And if I'm angry at him, maybe she's angry at him too, and he is as well. Yeah. Can I trust them? Right. I'd really love to punish him once, and you right. know, they're probably feeling the same thing. And your kinship begins to be replaced by suspicion. Right. And... What will happen at some point in, in r between round five and seven is somebody else will abstain, right. and in the next round there, there's nobody left. No one participates. I wonder if there is a to draw it out into the real world because I know you, <laughs> you say now you learn that there's another room where yeah. this game is going on, and that that room is America, yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it's going on very well. And so eventually the players will start to leave to America because it's just a better hand or round going on, so to speak. I wonder if, if not to take it from the abstract to the real too much, but this is an interesting thought experiment. If there was a way to kick that person out and replace that person with someone who is going to contribute. So I wonder, for example, and this, this probably ac actually, as I'm saying it out loud, isn't going to happen, but if the rate of Aliyah from other countries sort of offsets that the represent that that sort of reality that that person represents who's not giving um, or any other um, initiative or program could be used to sort of compensate for that person not contributing and not participating so it's a, actually a great point it's an okay. important point in in that we haven't had to face this problem for 70 years because of exactly what you're saying right now okay right is that first of all there have been jews in need around the world meaning the case for israel just as a refuge nothing right. more than that has been crystal clear to israelis right we absorbed a million soviet jews in in in, in you know a 24-month period in the beginning right. of the 1990s when the population was four and a quarter million this is a huge huge you know put the pension system into default immediately yeah. <laughs> huge huge challenge yeah. nobody asked there's no protest against of course right. this is our family you're, you're of course you're you you're 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 welcome this is your home um and all of these people became i say the, the vast majority of these people became real contributors to right. israeli society and we've had waves from iraq and from morocco and from yemen and from this this is the, so you, you've you've on the one on the one hand the the case for Jewish statehood just as a refuge has been crystal clear right. for this period and we've con continually replenished the stock of contributors to your point that's right. exactly that's been happening that's pretty much over okay right it's over the yeah. there there isn't mass immigration from America to Israel right. for clear reasons right, right. that we're not in trouble here this right. is this is it's a, I, I think it is and we'll, I think it'll continue to be yeah. a good place to be Jewish Europe has is 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 emptying out but there aren't that many Jews left, Latin America, very few. Mm -hmm. um, so I don't see any more big waves. If something huge happens in France, we'll get a, a, a bit of a bump. It okay. will be nothing like what happened with the Soviet Union. Right. Um, so that that resource, so to speak, is, is, is right almost up. depleted. Almost. Okay. Yeah. But it, it's, it's a great point. Yeah. So in the book, you suggest a sort of solution to um, some of the challenges that exist the issue of conversions, right? The rabbinate having the jurisdiction to recognize conversions in Israel and sort of making problems for people who don't fit their very strict definition. Um, 
issues of the right of return law and other such challenges, and you specifically suggest that the president of Israel should actually be the person who has jurisdiction over these issues, and that all Jews around the world should be able to vote on matters pertaining to this. How would that look exactly? And are you at all concerned about because we're dealing with this now in America, um, with the anti-Semitic trope of dual loyalty and things of that nature, are you at all concerned with how that will play, if at all, in such a a conception that you come up with in the book? All right, great, so there's a lot there. (laughs) Um, So to to start with the presidency, Mm -hmm. I I think the fundamental recognition that we, we, we need to embrace is that Israel is, a, is a, an asset of the Jewish people, mm-hmm. right? Now, w- what exactly does that mean? Is some, I, I, don't, I don't try to define it in the book. I, do, I describe okay. a mechanism for all of us to define it. It shouldn't be one person defining it. Okay. Um, however, let's understand the fallacy in the secularist vision of Israel, which okay. is we just need an, another democracy. No, okay. The world does not need another democracy. <laughs> that's, there's plenty of democracies. That's, sure. uh, that's okay. And if normalcy is your ambition, go to California. Right. It is so much more normal <laughs> than, 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 than Israel. Right. Um, we are the nation state of the Jewish people. That, that, that is what we're doing uh, in the Middle East. Otherwise, we would not have picked that neighborhood. It was right. a bad neighborhood um, uh, to be in. That said, we are structured as a nation state. Um, and it, it can be confusing. I think most of us are, are confused. It's the fact that what exactly is our mission here? So I say, let, let's, let's be very clear. There are two separate missions, right? We need to run a nation state. We need fiscal policy and healthcare policy and everything right. that Switzerland needs, we need, right? right? Um, we are also the nation state of the Jewish people, meaning we're making claims, we're extending rights to people who live beyond our borders and are not citizens of the, right. of the state. Um, we've conflated those two missions. And again, as long as there were Jews in trouble in the world, this was, this, I, I, I think question was obscured. We didn't really have to answer that question. We do right. now. Uh, what exactly does it mean to be the nation state of the Jews? So one of the things I'm proposing is, and, and this is just a governance issue, it doesn't have to work exactly like this, but here's a way it can work, sure. is we have a parliament in Israel mm-hmm. that is functioning, and we complain about how it functions, but you know, we complain right. about how the United States government functions, it that's functions. okay. It functions. <laughs> it functions, yes. Right? We do have healthcare policy in Israel. That's, right. That is working. Um, you, know, you can grade how well it's working, but it is working. Um, Leave that in place. That's great. And for everything that has to do with the regular functions of a state, from education to defense, that is the purview of the Israeli people, the sure. uh, right, the, the Israeli people, Jewish sure. and not Jewish, Muslim, Christian, Druze, um, and not of anybody who's not Israeli. Israel as nation state of the Jews is a separate mission. Sure. Uh, now. This is not that neat, right? There is a bit of overlap between the two, especially when it comes to territory. Like, mm-hmm. what, what, what do we look like on a map? I, I recognize that, and that th- those are details that we, we do need to work through. But fundamentally, nation state of the Jews, we have the law of return, mm-hmm. right? Which is the kind of the, the, what makes Israel an automatic refuge of, of Jews who are in trouble. We need to be able to define who is eligible for right. citizenship in Israel. And what we have right now, to me, is, is a bad definition. Mm-hmm. In that we, so we take the, the Nuremberg Laws, right. and that's exactly where the law of return comes from. If you have one Jewish grandparent, you were Jewish enough for the Nazis, you're Jewish enough for us. You're right. welcome in our country. We call that citizenship, but it's really asylum. Mm. That, 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 that's really what we're giving these people, and that they don't have the full rights of citizenship that recognized Jews have. Okay, and, and you know, in, in some cases, those are symbolic rights, but I think they matter a lot. Mm-hmm. So, and I write in the book about all of these uh, immigrants from the Soviet Union who right. were Jewish enough to fight and die in, right. for the Jewish state, but not Jewish enough to be buried in a Jewish cemetery. Right. I'm actually shocked that there hasn't been more, I mean, maybe there has, but more of an outrage within Israeli society about that. But. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's, it's been there, but you know, it, yeah. it, it ebbs and flows. Um, but I agree, not, not enough. Yeah. Um, all the way to who can you marry, right? right? And there is no civil marriage for Jews in Israel. Right. For Christians, there is, but not, not for Jews. Um, and that has real f- tax consequences, right? You can't f- 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 jointly file for taxes right. if you're married to somebody who's not recognized by these two men 
right. the two chief rabbis, <laughs> right. as, uh, as, as Jewish. That's something that we need to change. And I, so I put that under the bucket of what makes this the nation state of the Jews. Other things is who has custody over the Jewish holy sites, mm. not the Muslim holy sites. Now, right. We have a religious affairs ministry that works. That's fine. But for the Jewish, who has access to pray at the Wailing Wall and how and all that? That's not a question that should be left to two men. Right. That's a question for the Jews, right. not just Israeli Jews. Um, and then third is just the, the Jewish character of, of, uh, uh, of the state. And that, the third is maybe the most contentious, and I, 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 I get it. So maybe we start with the, with the first two. What I'm proposing is we take an office right now which has a bureaucracy. It's set up, and, okay. and great, that, but that's about all it has. It doesn't okay. do anything, right? The president <laughs> of Israel doesn't do anything. It's, right. a, it's, not, it's, a, it's a ceremonial function. And turn that into a real, a real office that has legislative uh, authority over exactly those questions of what makes Israel the nation state of the Jews. All Jews need representation. Okay. No non-Jews need representation in that body. Mm -hmm. It has no jurisdiction over them. It does right. not affect their lives at all. Right. Um, but all Jews in the world should be able to vote for uh, uh, for the person who, um, who who's responsible for that process of defining gotcha. the nation state of the Jews. So then, I don't know <laughs> how it works. Was Rivlin appointed by the prime minister, or no? So you have elections. Okay. It's just it's a symbolic. Okay. It's, it's a symbolic uh, um, position. There, I, uh, there are few authorities, kind of like the Queen in Eng gotcha. England, right? She's got a, f a few actual yeah. authorities, but not, not, not really. Um, your question, which I, I think pulls us to one of the flaws in the book, okay. is that uh, <laughs> your question about the dual loyalty question, which sure. is kind of really hot these days. Um, one of the things that's, the things that's been pointed out is that I'm, I'm, I'm a little too early to dismiss anti-Semitism as a force in the United States. Sure. Um, Especially recent events happening over the past few weeks, yeah. I think. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, I hear that, and I accept the criticism. I think it's, uh, it, it's probably right. I'm, I'm not ready to say that there's something fundamental that's happened. Sure. What I can say is I am convinced that anti-Semitism on the right mm -hmm. is, a, is a phenomenon. It exists, sure. but it's a fringe phenomenon. And it's not a growing phenomenon. In sure. fact, if anything, I would guess, I think it's, it's shrunk over the last 30 years. That's, that's, that's my feeling. Okay. I compare Charlottesville to Skokie when I was a kid. Right. I think it's kind of shrunk. I don't, it certainly hasn't grown. Right. Um, and again, it's, if there's going to be violent anti-Semitism, it's probably coming from the right. right. That's, so I'm, I'm, it's, I'm, it's not to dismiss it, but to be clear, there's anti-Semitism in Israel as well. And there's right. violence against Jews because they're Jews in Israel as well. The system will defend the rights of Jews in both countries. Okay. I, so I'm not, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a concern, but not, I, I don't, it's not a fundamental challenge to, to the assertion that anti-Semitism is not part of Jews' day-to-day -day life in this country. What's happening on the left right now is different. Mm -hmm. I think it, it is more than a fringe mm -hmm. uh, today. The fixation on Israel is by far the biggest foreign policy issue that we can be talking about, to me, can only be explained by the fact that it is the nation state of the Jews. Sure. There's nothing else that's special about that conflict. Right. Right, the 200 you know, conflicts that are raging around the world today, it is probably one of the least special uh, conflicts, yeah. other than that it has a Jewish protagonist. Um, I'm still hopeful that this is a flash in the pan. Okay. I think the, you know, this country is great at self-correcting. Mm -hmm. We've never been perfect, we'll never be perfect, but we're always aspiring to better, and I think getting better uh, okay. o o o over time. Uh, and I, you know, I, I, what I see happening within the Democratic Party today, I think, is some pretty sincere soul searching over okay. th over this question. But who knows? Right. On the point of dual loyalty, so I, I kind of approach it a little bit differently than most people. I said dual loyalty is totally fine. Sure. It's totally fine. There I have mean, actually been jurists <coughs> in the past who have. I was doing research on this topic recently. Um, it, it wasn't Louis Brandeis. It was someone else who said specifically that America, the American project, or the people who created the American project never suspected that for some reason there would be Irish Americans who would totally shed their sense of affi affinity for Ireland. Like right. that was never a part of the co conception of America. Sure. So, Yeah, look, if uh, you're a practicing Catholic, yeah. the Vatican like means, Italy. yeah, you, you, <laughs> and, and, and that's fine, right? That's fine. What I think is an issue is disloyalty to this country, okay? Right. And you know, when, when, when people ask if you had to choose, if you had to choose right. between the United States and Israel, like, and I'm right, I'm a very proud American, a very proud Israeli. Right. I, I try to contribute 
to both societies in, in, a, in a very sincere way. Um, if we ever got to a point where one had to choose, we wouldn't be talking about the America that we're talking about today and the Israel that we're talking about today. Right. It, and, it won't, and, and any loss of loyalty would have nothing to do with having to choose. It would have right. to do with, okay, th this... So, for example, if Israel were to become a theocracy, mm -hmm. um, I, I wouldn't be loyal to that franchise anymore. Right. And most Israelis that I know would not be loyal to that. And has, that has nothing to do with my loyalty to America right. at all. It has to do with something changing within Israel itself. Yeah. And the same could be said, I guess, for America. If someone would have to question one sense of loyalty to America, it would have to be because America has so radically changed. Yes. I get that. That's a very that's a very good answer, I think, to the to the challenge, and especially if you see what's going on on Twitter right now, <laughs> the certain back and forths between certain Congress members. I think that this would be a conversation that would contribute yeah, to I that agree. conversation taking place. Um, shifting gears for a little, we're talking about Israel and America. I actually find it interesting. There's an interesting parallel here between your articulation of the changes in Jewish identity, and specifically uh, the fact that. Historically, there was no hierarchy, there was no pope that affected uh, sort of, I guess you could say, policy with, or tradition within the Jewish world. And now there's a, a rabbinate in Israel that sort of has taken jurisdiction over those issues. Similarly, if I think about the American project, the American project in its infancy or in its, in its uh, since its very beginning was sort of very anti-king, right? anti um, um, what's the word, monarchy, if you will, and throwing off the, the authority of the king to say we are free. I'm very curious if you see any parallels between some of the solutions that you offer to the Jewish question as related to the question of identity that I think we in America are sort of trying to figure out and navigate because I think that there's an identity crisis here in America that's playing out in different ways, whether you're talking about um, hyperpolarization, whether you're talking about, there's a, just a piece in Atlantic Magazine that came out yesterday, I believe, that discussed this. People feeling like they have no purpose, they have no meaning. Um, are there any insights that you got from doing the research on the book that you think can contribute to our soul searching for identity here in America? So w we need to talk about love for a minute. Okay. Um, I like love, very theory of enchantment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Good and evil are abstractions. Mm -hmm. They're inventions. They're useful inventions, I'm sure. not, not, not saying. Very um, Yuval Harari of you. Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. <laughs> uh, love and hate are real. Mm -hmm. uh, whether you believe in them or not, they exist. Mm -hmm. um, and I think we have place in our hearts for both, but limited space. Sure. Right? The more love you have, the less hate you have room for, I, sure. I think, ultimately. And that, that's a very human struggle. And I think over the course of, and this is, this is a more of a, 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 a Steven Pinker okay. <laughs> observation, over the course of years, we've gotten better at love. I okay. think we have um, in general. Um, America, to me, looks very much like Judaism in many ways, mm -hmm. um, on a much bigger scale and a yeah. much smaller time scale. Yeah. Uh, right? The Constitution, to me, is, is, is such a Talmudic document and that right. it was written to be amended from the beginning. It's, it's, it is a set of questions. Right. Um, and, and by the way, our, our process for amending it is also very Talmudic, is that mm. we, we debate mm. and you know, we record, you know, when something gets to the Supreme Court, we record both consensus and dissenting views. And right. We give them both you know, great respect and we use precedent to kind of chart our, 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 our course. Right. And that's important. That doesn't mean you can't change, but right. let's change with, uh, uh, in, in a way that's informed by the trajectory that we're, we're on. Um, it's probably not a coincidence that it's two Jews that in the, the, the first part of the last century put forward two models mm. for American society. Mm. It's Israel Zangwill's melting pot. Sure. I guess it's an Emerson uh, adaptation of, of Emerson's smelting pot, but, but sure. uh, I'll attribute to Zangwill for now. And, uh, and Horace Callan's uh, mosaic. Sure. The melting pot seems to have, for the time being, won out. Okay. I'm saying for the time being, up to the last five or ten years, has okay. kind of won out as the way we perceive of ourselves as American, or the primary way we perceive of ourselves as, as American. Um, it requires less love. Okay. It works. It's more stable. This notion that, right, you're saying the Irish uh, immigrant and the Italian immigrant, um, yeah, the, the, 
the person who got off the boat is Irish and will probably die Irish. Right. That person's children are Irish Americans, right. and that person's grandchildren are it's just American. Americans. Yeah. Okay. So that there, there's a, a a model there that works and has you know has some some stability to it. Um, Horace Callan would have said we're losing something quite valuable okay. uh, in doing that. In that, you know, not every soup has to be a puree. We can right. have a minestrone <laughs> right. and identify the carrots and identify the peas, and um, and each one has a distinct contribution right. to, uh, to to society. Right? Diversity is 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 a big deal, right? Big, right. Big. Melting pot is an anti-diversity right. argument. It says we can't handle diversity. Yeah. We need to be the same if we don't want to be enmity to 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 exist between us. So. In many ways, it's the same challenge in Judaism as it is in, in the United States. Is to what extent can we accommodate diversity? Mm-hmm. And I can say that if if love is the fundamental platform on mm-hmm. which you're building everything, you can accommodate a lot of diversity, right. and it's great. Right within our family, I can say there are people who have all sorts of different views, but right. we love each other. There's something you know fundamental there. We can disagree. By the way, in, in some cases, we love each other enough to change our minds, right. which is really tough. Right. And say, you know what, Chloe, you convinced me. Right. <laughs> I, I agree with you now. I, yeah. I, I think I was wrong about that. Um, so, so I think that's something we need to be working on: is how do we how do we rediscover that? Okay. You know, I don't get terribly offended by you know opinions that I disagree with, even on Israel, on, right. on, on all sorts of things. But certainly not, you know, kind of the outrages now on different. Uh, economic policies or tax rates or things like that i I can disagree and still try to see through to the person and say okay i I think he or she's coming at this with with honest intentions and and really wants you know uh, the greater good um how do we rediscover that love that's much more your department (laughs) and and, and look it's not through it's it's not through screaming at each other on television that that, it's not there um in fact, it's probably not through talking about the issues themselves. It okay. will enable us to talk about the issues in a way that's constructive, but I think we need to go down to something much more fundamental right. you know, that, that 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 unites us. Do you think it's possible? Because you know, we just you just mentioned how big America is. Do you think it's possible for us to take up that project on a national scale? And if so, how would that be possible? Is there a mechanism in place that would facilitate um, having I don't know be- better conversations about? about love and, and really making love the heart of everything yeah. that we do? That's a great question. I, you know, Hollywood. Sure. Um, convincing each other with the facts will only take us so far. Sure. Um, th- this, this is a right brain or a heart-led yeah. um, uh, movement. I, I also, uh, I- in many ways, there's a self-correcting aspect to okay. America, which is exciting and, uh, you know, and, and, and encouraging. I'm sure we can break it. Okay. <laughs> we can break it. Uh, it's possible. I don't think we have broken it, though. Right. Okay. And, and I hear more and more people talking like you and I are talking right now, saying, all right, look, we, we might disagree sure. on policy or on all the things like that, but we are part of the same franchise, and there's love that exists sure. between us. As, as, as the first foundation, l- let's, take it for, let, let's, let's, let's move on from where we are today, where you know, everything is an outrage, everything is an assault. Um, I, don't know if, I don't know if that constituency is big enough to support an independent right. presidential candidate <laughs> or some 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 kind of very concrete right. um you know antidote to to right. to to where we are um but maybe we don't need that you know maybe this yeah it's interesting because i'm just thinking about how in the aftermath of different incidents that have happened in america recently there was sort of a trending effect so after the Parkland shooting, with when teenagers decided to rally together and, and help hold marches or um, other such incidents that have taken place. I'm wondering if it's possible for something on that scale um, to help facilitate this conversation about love. I don't know if it's, I don't know if it's um, sort of sexy enough to really be caught or to really, to, to really catch the attention of people like, who are influencers would want to talk about this on their platforms. That's the one thing I'm, I find is a barrier to a lot of these issues is like, it's obviously, if you tell someone, I think they would agree with you, they would, they would nod and say yes, but how do you actually capture the attention on a national scale and really get us moving forward? I think, I think we spoke about this the last time. Um, we, t- we talked about how Oprah was sort of such a, 
uh, empathy creating figure in America because you had people in rural America and you had people, you know, on the West Coast and you had people in the Northeast all watching her at the same time, engaging in interesting conversations around different around the great mosaic of America, right? She's displaying all types of Americans and from all different backgrounds. And I think that um, really connected us a lot. But now with the with social media and sort of, now everyone has a media platform. So um, you have this case where in some cases outrage is incentivized, right? And so you, you have a, you have an incentive to be polarizing and you have an incentive to tear people apart with your rhetoric. So I'm wondering, and I hope this isn't true, but I'm wondering if that's too great of a barrier to overcome, at least in this environment. So w when you talk about the in incentive to create outrage, I, I don't know, but I'm, I'm wondering if there's not a, a kind of an ebb and flow in that, right? Okay. Maybe at some point we get tired of sure. being angry. It's, sure. you know, and, and it's not some revolutionary figure who comes up. Right. We're just tired. And, yeah. um, uh, you know, and, and then what gets rewarded on whether it's social media or we've always had some version of social media, I think. It's, it's, okay. you know, yeah, I, I agree. It's, 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 it's ballooned in the, last, yeah. in the last few years. But um, what gets rewarded becomes the Oprah-like qualities of sharing exposing vulnerabilities, okay. your own vulnerabilities. Right. So, I mean, these are wonderful. They're not policy. They're, right. they're, they're humanity. And, 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 you know, we're willing to invest in somebody like Oprah. Right. We're willing to invest time bandwidth, emotional bandwidth, uh, intellectual bandwidth. And that opens us up to nuance. Right? right. We don't really have time for nuance when we're jumping from one, one issue there. But, you know, I think we talked also about, you know, I, I, I visited the... Uh, the Texas-Mexico border at Brownsville okay. <clears throat> a couple of weeks ago and met people, families who had been divided, you know, yeah. mother and, you know, one kid on, on, on the south side, right. father and one, another kid who had made it across and right. what do they do now? And this is very Talmudic, right? This is Hillel yeah. and Shammai ultimately. If, if, yeah. you, if, you, if you're missing the point if you can't keep two competing imperatives in your head. Mm. You know, on the one hand, if it doesn't break your heart that yeah. this family has been now torn into two and they don't know where they're going and they don't have resources, they don't have language, they, they, don't, they, they, they are really in trouble. They're right. really in trouble. Uh, if that doesn't move you, I think there's something, there's something wrong with you. Right. And if at the same time you can't understand that there are seven billion people in the world who would like to come to this country, right? right? It means we're doing something right, by the way. Right, before, right, right. before we trash them, right, we're doing something right because people want to be here. Right. Um, However, if we just threw open the gates and said anyone who wants, you know, come in, this thing would be over immediately, right. immediately. Um, these are two competing imperatives, and right. we need to find some, by definition, imperfect right. path to, to walk between those uh, um, uh, competing imperatives. It's a very Jewish exercise. It requires nuance. I would say love is, is, is the gateway to right. that, right? You're not going to invest in it if you don't care about your interlocutor. Uh, it's just about winning uh, right. the argument. You're just going to throw out your one side. I'm all about, you know, the integrity of our borders. Nothing yeah. else matters. You know, a lot of things matter. It's right. not the only thing that matters. Right. Competing, competing visions uh, or competing values, each of which is, is, is important and necessary. Um, I guess my last question for you would be, this book was published in 2017, correct? 18. Oh, 18. Okay. So it's very, very recent. Um, are there any sort of new ideas that you have <laughs> as of writing this book? Um, and how would you, what are those new ideas and how would you apply it both to this question of, uh, you know, the Jewish question, the relationship between the diaspora and Israel, and also this question of identity in America, if, if either. So, I, so the, there's one point that I've kind of become radicalized on. It's conversion. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. Right? So in, in in Judaism, we we tend to discourage sure. Conversion. Which, by the way, I never quite understood that. Yeah, I think it's a concept problem. Concept <laughs> at, at all. Uh, it never made any sense to me. But yeah. <laughs> so he, here's kind of a funny. I've I've been approached by a number of grandmothers after book talks. Okay. Uh, that have more or less this story. Uh, I'm not, an, I'm not an Orthodox Jew, and all of my grandchildren are Jewish. Sure. So I've, I've completely bucked the statistics in, sure. you know, in this country. Uh, 
the man I married converted. He wasn't born Jewish. Mm -hmm. uh, and had I married a man who was born Jewish, I'm pretty sure this would not have been the outcome. <laughs> really interesting. Okay. Right. And after hearing that three, four, five times, okay, there's, there's a phenomenon here. There's right. something interesting going on. Um, and what I think is happening is, you know, when I got married, my wife and I are both born Jewish. Mm -hmm. We never had a discussion about raising our kids Jewishly right. or what kind of what our tradition would be. Um, I think we still haven't had that discussion. It's just, you know, <laughs> whatever. We're kind of going with the flow. And sure. that's, um, whereas these couples had to actually make a conscious decision. Say, okay, this is, this is our, you know, we, we're deciding now we're, we're going to be a Jewish family. We're, we're going to raise our kids in. Jewishly. Yeah. We need to define what that means. Mm -hmm. Something I never had to do. Um, so I, I write in the book, and I, I think I get the quantitative point right. I, I miss the qualitative point, which is actually more important. Okay. And, and, and that is, you know, I've been kind of a, a challenge to put forward a model for conversion. Okay. I said, look, this is not a, a policy proposal. This is an example of what it could look like. Right, naturalization. Yeah. Right. Um, let's take immigration and naturalization in the United States. If, if you're born to an American parent or born on U.S. soil, you're an American. Right. That's, and, and that can't be taken away from you. Right. You don't have to know anything about America. You don't have to commit to anything uh, uh, in America. And you will still be American. Right. If you don't pay your taxes, we'll put you in jail, but you're still American. <laughs> right. And that's the only thing we're, we're going to absolutely require that you, right. that you do. Uh, by the way, that, that's problematic. <laughs> but but, but it's, it's the fact. If you're not born American and you want to become American, though, you need to clear two bars, one bar of commitment and one bar of knowledge. You need right. to pass a knowledge test, right? You need to study for that. That's a commitment in itself. You need to live among us for a certain number of years before you're even eligible right. uh, to become an American. And you need to take an oath of allegiance as a condition of your becoming a citizen. Right. Right? You and I never had to do that, right. but the immigrant American does. Is it a stretch to say that by virtue of having to clear a bar of knowledge and a bar of commitment that on average the immigrant American is a better American than yes. the born American. I was literally thinking about this last night. Yeah. I don't think it's a stretch at all. Yeah. Uh, by the way, surveys will tell you it's a more grateful American for sure. Right. That, that, that is uh, you know, d d definitely the case. And I would argue probably better on yeah. average, of course. Right. That's uh, not universal. Um, so this notion of having to really consider what this enterprise is mm -hmm. and make some sort of commitment, actually have some skin in the game right. on... on uh, I think is, is quite important both to Judaism and, and, and to Americanism, right? right. And then again, I, I love the parallel. I think that, I think it's real. I mean, yeah. the, um, so what does this mean? First of all, conversion becomes a tool, mm -hmm. and I think it's great. For, if, if we're worried about the numbers, which is what I what I wrote about, and I, again, it's, it's it's the minor point here, but it's uh, but it, but it's still important. Um, you know, there's always the toast at the uh, at, at uh, you know a wedding that mm -hmm. you know the parents give or whatever. We're not losing a daughter; we're gaining yeah. a son. Yeah. <laughs> a, we could look at it that way, right? And we could say that look, on on average, we're getting more committed, more knowledgeable right. on average Jews by welcoming n new people in. Right. We do need a very clear line that mm -hmm. says in definitively in, mm -hmm. not challengeable. You're mm -hmm. in. You're not on probation. And that's it. <laughs> by the way, no, no, another guy that I met was. Uh, converted to Judaism, mm -hmm. um, uh, American guy. Um, he was working at a bank in Switzerland and uh, was converted by a Sephardic rabbi in, okay. in Switzerland. And, you know, by his, the way he, he tells it, he's, he's led a completely Jewish life since then, much more Jewish than the life I lead. He yeah. keeps kosher, he keeps Shabbat, I don't. Yeah. Uh, married a Jewish woman, raising Jewish kids and all that. And he says that you know, every few years I'm approached by a, a well-intentioned Jewish friend who says, you know, I've, I've got a rabbi I could introduce you to who can get you a better conversion. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, and, you know, he's always... The uh, never-ending saga. Exactly, right. He's always <laughs> politely declined. Right. Saying, I understand that this will never end, exactly. Right. There's no, you know... So, um, and I asked him the tough question, which is, you know, you're an American, you're happy. If, if you wanted to move to Israel under the law of return, would your conversion be recognized or not? Right. He says, I don't know. And it's something I, you know, I'm, I, I kind of secretly fear. I'm, right. I'm not, and I have no intention of moving to Israel, but it, 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 it means something. Yeah. It means something to me. So th there are two important points here. One is it's actually great that there is a threshold out there. Sure. Eligibility for full citizenship in Israel is a threshold. It's objective. It's clear. It's, that means in, and that's sure. great. That means Jewish enough. You know what? There are going to be synagogues where you're not welcome. Sure. There are synagogues where I'm not welcome. That's fine. That's okay. But the nation state of the Jews, which 
purports to speak for the Jews, has said, you've got the seal of approval, cannot be revoked, you're in. Sure. That's, that, that's critical. The process where we, uh, by, by which we award that, though, obviously is, is, is broken. It can't mm-hmm. be these two men deciding anymore. We, we, we need a process that works. Um, but I think that would be a, um, a, a, a huge net positive to uh, Judah. I don't think there's any policy on this. There have been immigration quotas in this country. I don't know if there's ever been a target ratio mm. of uh, born Americans to immigrant Americans in right. this country. But it's an, it's an interesting notion to, to, to kind of to, to think about. Yeah. Um, even for immigration hawks, I, I think almost everybody has to acknowledge it's not just about culling the best talent, which America's done very well for right. 200 years, uh, you know, robbing India of its right. best minds and robbing China of its best minds. That's, we, 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 do, we do that really well. It's also the process uh, through which we integrate people into right. this country, which I think absolutely injects the right kind of energy into right. this whole this whole enterprise. And that, I think that's that's something that that's common in Judaism. And the last thing I'll say is, immigration can be is only one tool in that. Okay. You know, if if we wanted to have some sort of confirmation, mm-hmm. I've been speaking with a rabbi about this idea of of, of creating this. Um, institution of the second bar mitzvah okay right when you're 13 what do you know i mean yeah. there's not, um, <laughs> when you're 26 it's a different story right and sure and you, you you are far more conscious of what you're doing and you might start even have you know, many of us i wasn't one of them but many of us have a strategy for sure. how we want to live our life sure. um, by age 26 that's a much more important time i think to um to have to clear some sort of a bar sure. of commitment. I don't know if that's volunteering or f- financial commitment or something, uh, and knowledge. Sure. And uh, so I think it could be a really interesting notion. And again, for America as well. I'm not saying we should, you know. It'd be cool also for the if the if the born American <laughs> could, myself included, could um, could not be forced but be pressured to have to do something like this as well to sort of really take purchase in the American enterprise. So if we had a, 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 an American bar mitzvah <laughs> at age 26, <laughs> so and yeah. we, we'd need to figure out what you get, right? right? Is, is, it a, is it a tax incentive? Is right. it, what, what is it exactly? Because right. there, there's got to be a reason to, to, to do it. Otherwise, n- not many people will do it. But which basically says, look, you, you have to have certain knowledge right. about is this Is it country. similar to saying that you're not, a, you're not a Rhodes Scholar or even like on an academic level, do you have this thing now in your resume that distinguishes you from, from others who chose not to do it? Right. Yeah. Right. So I, I can't again. It's uh, it, it, you, you get in, you, you get into difficult, maybe fraught territory when mm. you start tying that to the rights of citizenship in this sure. country, voting or, or anything like that. Right. Um, but I don't think it has to actually. You know, to, to your point, it, it could be you know just a matter of honor, right? right. I've you know achieved this thing and, it, right. and it's great, and maybe maybe even something something else could be attached to that. But I, I do think that when we when we talk about love and appreciating yeah. what we have here. It, it's it's a big deal. Yeah. The immigrant from Venezuela, however he was treated at the border, and it can be the worst, is very very grateful yeah. uh, uh, to be here ultimately, because he knows something else. Yeah. He knows he, he can juxtapose. It's not just about you know outrage on campus or something right. like that. He knows what 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 other systems look, look like, like and how they can result, and and that's. It's a shame that only immigrants should have that. We sh- we should all right. have. He has an appreciation which perhaps cannot be. Uh, understood or received unless you've gone through that, right? Um, so I think to your point, even as we grapple with these issues, specifically with regard to immigration, we should we should take into consideration that that young immigrant's level of appreciation, which is something not to be taken for granted and something that we ourselves as born Americans often don't display. I haven't been in the school system for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> is there still civics in the high school? I mean, there was in mine. There was, um, okay. I imagine there has to be, right, on some, on some level. I remember, like, junior achievement and even Schoolhouse Rock was sort of, I don't yeah. know if that's still a thing. That, yeah. um, I, I hope so. I certainly hope so, but I but I don't know. And actually, there's a book called Why Liberalism Failed, which is not about liberalism as in the left, but uh, considers both conservatism and liberalism to be in this umbrella of liberalism, and it argues that there's less civic participation um, across the board, like in terms of local governance, let alone fe- on a federal level. Um, 
because of the over-commercialization of our societies and we have less ties to each other as a community and things of that nature, and that has contributed to less involvement in civics. You, you uh, juxtapose that with the immigrant, and I'm sure you'd find a very different picture. Right. So um, perhaps maybe your next book should be about immigration. <laughs> <laughs> Tal Keenan, is that how you pronounce your yes. last name? Thank you so much for joining Thank the you, Theory of Enchantment podcast. I had a blast. Same. Thank you. So we're starting a new segment, very short, but it's called Mad Theory of Enchantment Vibes right here. And this is essentially an ode, a shout out to people online, on Twitter, on Facebook, on social media, who are putting energy out in the world that reflect the principles of the theory of enchantment. Now, as a reminder, those principles are, number one, remember that we are human beings, not political abstractions, so you want to refrain from dehumanizing, objectifying, or stereotyping any community or any human being even as you even if you have a problem with that person or a conflict or a dispute that's number one number two if you want to criticize something that you see a person is doing or another community behavior community is engaging in criticize it but criticize them to uplift and empower them never to destroy them and never to tear down and number three as always and with everything root everything you do in love and compassion. So this week's shout out, this week's Math Theory of Enchantment vibes right here. Shout out goes to Natasha Rothwell, who tweeted recently on Twitter, quote, the last two years for Lent, rather than give up something, I committed to 40 days of kindness. Here are the daily rules I try to follow. Number one, lead with kindness. Number two, be actively kind to yourself. And number three, do something for someone else. Who will join me? Hashtag 40 Days of Kindness. That's awesome, Natasha. Thank you so much for putting that energy out into the world. We hope we can follow your footsteps in those 40 Days of Kindness. The quote of the day comes from an incredible book, which was written by Arno Michelis and Sikh Pardeep Singh Kaleka. Now, this book is called The Gift of Our Wounds. And Arnold Michelis is actually a former white supremacist. And Pardeep Singh Kaleka is an individual who was actually affected by an attack on his temple in 2005. I will be interviewing Arno very soon. So be on the lookout for that interview. It's going to be an amazing, amazing uh, episode of the podcast. But this quote says, We can find the gift in the wound if we can forgive with vengeance, with purpose, and with love. That's one more episode of the Theory of Enchantment podcast. Thank you all so, so much for listening. And as always, please, please, please encourage your friends to subscribe and share love and share light. Have an amazing rest of your week. I'm not going to do that.